It's your Locked On Flyers podcast for Tuesday, January 10th, your daily dose of Flyers news, analysis, and high-quality content that is so happy Sam Erson finally got that shutout. I say finally. It was only two Yeah, he's only – he hasn't had that long of a career, but I get it. All right. So we're going to talk about both games against uh, Toronto and Buffalo and get to Phantoms Tuesday all on today's show. Your Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, I am Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm here as always with Russ Cohen, who is on Twitter at Sportsology. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Flyers. That is where you'll keep up to date with our episodes, Flyers news, and ask us mailbag questions. You can email us at lockdownflyers at gmail, comment over on YouTube, or send us a tweet. We will be having a mailbag tomorrow, so get those questions in. Locked on Flyers is free and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe. You'll get all of our episodes here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Plus, we're over on YouTube. So subscribe there as well. Uh, Before we dig into those Flyers back to back games and the Phantoms, uh, one of the big things that bubbled to the surface over the last couple of days were rumors surrounding Ivan Provorov. Uh, It came up on the 32 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman and that there is just kind of rumblings out there that he is going to get traded. Uh, What's your take on this situation? Well, we heard rumblings last year, so obviously, you know, they were correct. I think we've talked about it on, on another show where I was like, you know, Provorov looks like he's trying to do too much offensively here. And I kind of would like Cam York to, to get some of that. Well, Provorov doesn't want to give that up. He wants more offensive work. He wants more power play, top power play time. And so this is the struggle. Now I see it two ways. The first way is, Hey, you've got three more years here. I'll try and accommodate your trade. If I can't make it, you got three more years here. That could end up being the smartest route. While that may not happen, and fans may not like the sound of that because they're always like wanting to trade a player who's, you know, disgruntled, being a little bit of a diva, whatever. Uh, sometimes you can't do it to to the detriment of your team. The second part is so you trade Ivan Provorov, and let's say you get, you know, two nice pieces for him. He averages 24 minutes a game for his career. Career. How yeah. are you filling those minutes? That's... How do you hope to fill those minutes? Even if you get, let's say, another second-pairing, third-pairing guy, who is going to now take over those minutes? And even if you think Ivan Provorov stinks, wait till you see the next person in that role. Yeah, that's what the big worry is for me. And my thought being that you cannot even think about trading him until 
trade deadline at the earliest or in the off season, if it's going to happen, because you need to replace those minutes. That's the big issue for me here is that there is just nobody on this team who can step up in that kind of role right now. And you would have hoped maybe Travis Sanheim could do it, but he's not there. No, I don't think he can right now. I think he can play well in the fewer minutes that he has. But I don't think he can play 23, 24 minutes a game for this team. I don't think Ristolainen can do it. Cam York is not ready. And it's interesting you mentioned like the offensive balance on that pairing because, you know, I I think that Torts specifically being vocal about wanting to get Cam York more active offensively I mean, is is that, you know, a coded yes, message to Ivan Provorov to step back? And if so, like, I think that not only does that cause problems for Provorov, but it causes problems for Cam York in trying to create an effective Well, again, character. this is why I laughed when John Tortorella says he never has trouble with any players and they always point out, look at all these players that love him. Yeah, but then you have to also mm-hmm. look at all these situations that occur because you you have a coach that wants it a certain way. The other thing is, I think John Tortorella's answer to this is, we'll play without him, we'll have better team defense, we'll be okay. And my problem is... That's not true. That's just not that's, true. You no, know, but that, in his head, that's what he will say. And my problem with this is, I don't think you could replace the role in the next two years. That would be three years into John Tortorella's term. He'd have one year left to try and make the playoffs and you know, and see if he's going to hang around or see if you even want him to hang around. It just doesn't seem like the timing is going to match up for all this unless you get a quality young defenseman who another team thinks they can give up because they're going to win a championship this year. And that's hard to find that kind of trade partner. So, uh, you know, if I'm the GM, I'm like, yeah, we, we appreciate you giving the trade request. We'll look into it. And that's it. Shut the door in my office and, you know, keep going on with with the day because, again, you don't have to trade him. Yeah, it's almost like they could have drafted David Yurich. Well, I mean, that's another show because this is twice <laughs> I now know. that the Flyers could have drafted exactly what they needed with a couple of players that we're not going to mention right now. But again, yes. All right. Uh, I also would say that you're to your point. If they're going to trade him, like it needs to be for picks and and prospects. It can't be like a hockey no. trade because it that just doesn't help what the Flyers are going to need to do in their not rebuild yes. right now. All right. Well, switching over to some more positive news, let's talk about Samerson uh, because uh, man, you know, in the intro I said finally, and that was because the previous game where he was so close and you know the the other team scored in the last minute but uh I think this was a really interesting couple of games back to back and not just because Samerson got that shutout but he got key saves and he didn't have to make you know it wasn't like a UC Saro 64 save game right it it was 28 saves right which is pretty you know slightly lower than average number of saves but they were key saves when yeah. the flyers had breakdowns and i think that was Yeah there were the, a lot of key saves. Yeah that's what the important part to me was is that he In the second period he had to make a lot of big stops. Yeah yeah and that it wasn't like the entire game wasn't on his shoulders at all but he made the key saves he has to and he was really calm about it that was the thing that i appreciated about that performance 
Yeah, and and he really has a calming effect in the net. And right now, uh, while even John Tortorella acknowledged it's a small mm-hmm. sample size, and it is, you know, he looks good, and that's good. You know, look, we both thought a year ago he's probably the best of the two goalies between him and Felix Sandstrom, and he and he's proving that he just wasn't healthy. So it's hard to prove that argument when a guy's not healthy. And I re- I wrote about it on Sportsology.com at least two years ago that I liked Urson that much especially when he won the trophy in camp. I, I yeah. reposted that um, picture yesterday because, you know, I really, you know, took to the guy. All that said, I'm still playing Carter Hart next game. Oh, yeah, of I, course. I want him to sit and watch on the bench how the Capitals are with Backstrom, with Ovechkin. I want him to watch that. You say, of course, I can't tell you for sure Carter Hart's playing next game. I can't tell you that definitively the way Torts ran with Urson last time when he won. He might just do it again. So I don't think it's a fait accompli that Carter Hart starts next next game. I mean, I think you're right in terms of that being the smarter thing to do with it being a home and home with the Caps. Sit Urson for the first one and then put him in for the second one. I, I, I think that's exactly what you have to do there. Like you said, not sure if that'll happen. Um, I do want to say that I really loved the bounce back in the game against Buffalo after Mm -hmm. the dreadful performance defensively against Toronto, because I think they did some things right against Toronto, but that's the difference between, you know, an elite team that you're playing against that maybe you do a lot of the right things and you're still going to lose the game like that because they're that good. But Buffalo has been scoring at a phenomenal rate, you know, averaging over four goals a game. And the fact that they shut them out after that really just, you know, demoralizing game against Toronto, I think that's a good sign of resilience. It's a good sign of resilience. The team defense was good. You know, Morgan Frost and Noah Cates had great games defensively. Cates had a nice goal. So those things... All positives, you know, Zach McEwen first has scored his first goal in 30-some games. Um, for all those people that thought Zach was going to score more this year under Torts, yeah, he might get two more goals. Like, he might get three more goals. But, you know, again, but it, it was, you know, a positive thing. On the other side, sure. I, I think the Sabres were due to slip, and they also have a young defense. So the Flyers took advantage of that. That's good. They're, but the Flyers also um, still have problems, right? Like, that Peyton Krebs breakaway could have changed the game too because I don't know what they were doing for like a minute and a half. They were playing the dumbest hockey I've seen them play all year. And I had to tweet about it because guys were on the wrong sides. They just couldn't do anything on the power play, which again was over three still not fixed, but that game sort of masks it because everything else worked. And, you know, Krebs gets the breakaway. They also had, I want to say there were two or three two on ones in a minute and a half part. And that was two of them were when they were on the power play and then the breakaway when Krebs was coming out of the box. You can't have that. Yeah. Well, there is a lot right there. So we're going to get into (laughs) a little bit more detail on some of that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball, soccer, esports, and of course, the NHL. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. 
And if you love sports podcasts like ours, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. Make sure you check out Locked On NHL Prospects. It's a daily show covering the next generation of hockey superstars leading up to the NHL draft, plus rankings, top prospect comparisons, all that and more. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Russ, uh, you went through a laundry list of items toward the end of the last segment. And, you know, I think that the power play is one of the big things that's still an issue. They were 0 for 7 between the two games back to back. Um, it was interesting in the game against the Sabres. They tried to you know, switch around the units a little bit uh, that it just didn't quite work. And I, I wonder if that's a chemistry thing in terms of getting used to the different combinations in terms of how it went in the Sabres game. But I wasn't feeling overly confident that they were going to get a power play goal in either of those games. Yeah, I, I still think it's a zone entry thing. And yeah, again, it's easy to sit here and say, if I were coach, this is what I would do. But if I were coach, again, I would say this player, uh, whether it's Frost or Sandheim or whoever, is going to be the guy that brings the puck up on the first one, and this guy's doing it on the second one, no exceptions. No exceptions. If you want to do the slingshot, fine. If you don't want to do slingshot, don't do it. But that's it. This is what we're doing. And it is your responsibility to get it into the zone. And then when we get it into the zone, this is what we're doing. They don't seem to have a game plan, at least for the early part of the power play, on what to do. They get short-circuited so early. And again, those guys... I know the coaches let you go deep, but they go so deep that they're giving up all these odd man rushes and it's bad. Yeah, I I think there has to be a huge reset on the power play and just or put two defensemen on the power play yeah. so you don't have the odd man rushes. Like again, Rocky Thompson is not doing a good job. Like I'm just going to say it, he's not. This is failing all year and failing miserably like to the point where, you know, the coach, you know, cursed the other day. I can't curse on this show, but if you want to go look up what he said about the power play two games ago, go look it up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was fun to hear <laughs> over the TV. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that is a continuing issue that I, I think needs to be addressed in a fundamental way. Like start it over, start from scratch, build it up because they're just not getting anywhere with the power play. Um, another interesting thing that I noticed between the two games is that the Flyers threw 41 hits versus the Leafs and only 16 versus Buffalo. And, you know, with two, you know, theoretically offensive powered teams in terms of how they're playing right now and, you know, shutting out Buffalo and giving up six versus the Leafs. You have to wonder, like, how effective was that strategy versus the Leafs? Not at all. And could they have done something different in their defensive structure and not just depend on the physicality of it? Yeah, they could have actually played defense yeah. and had active sticks and had better structure and take away time and space. Now, Torts talked about it. Um, against the Leafs, it didn't happen. He talked about it again yesterday, and yeah, it did which, happen. Yeah, exactly. And it was a very noticeable difference. Very noticeable. Yeah. The, the thing is, 
and this is what I've always said, if you're going to be physical and you want those hits to matter, you have to get the puck after you hit the guy. If you hit the guy and you don't have the puck, it really didn't do anything other than if you want to send a message. So that's why I don't care how many hits a team has per game. What I care is what happens after the hit. Exactly. And that was a huge failing, I think, in that Leafs game. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, again, they always had the puck. to their credit, they they did a, a really good job of turning that around against the Sabres. They did. And, and it does show that they're capable, but it also does show that right now they're like a Jekyll and Hyde team. And even the coach is having trouble finding a middle ground on this team. And, you know, that's the, that's the, the biggest worry of this year. Are, are things rolling better than um, last year? Sure. I mean they are a little better. There's no question about it. But we also have to acknowledge that, you know, since 2013, I think it was 2013, John Tortorella hasn't gotten out of the second round of the playoffs and has missed the playoffs too. So right now, this year is kind of going part and parcel with the first year of his tenure in Columbus where they had like a 475 winning percentage. No, actually, I think it was a 500 winning percentage. And right now the Flyers are like a 475. And they could get to 500. It's possible. So if, you know, the, my basic point make, point that I'm making here is I hope it doesn't follow the same script because Columbus and Columbus's fans were happy because they never made the playoffs and they were happy to be there. This fan base is not going to be happy Very to be different. there. <laughs> and if they keep getting knocked out in the first round, it's not going to be a fun ride. So this is where, you know, the GM or whoever the GM is going to be has to really build something here because you can't just be a team that's happy to make the playoffs, get knocked out of the first round, get knocked out of the first round, go to the second round, get eliminated. You have to hope that you're built for something better than that. So we're not seeing that yet. Yeah, that's a, I think, a roster construction issue. It is. It is. You know, right now. But uh, I do. But it is a coaching one, too, because, again, he's been the coach for two different franchises and, you know, he, he had some success with the Rangers, but then after, you know, after they made it to the conference final, he, he hasn't made it back since. With everything that's going on behind the scenes and management and, you know, what Chuck Fletcher has put together, I, I think you really have to wait another year before you can kind of evaluate uh, on that front. Um, two other points I want to make sure we get to. Uh, I think that you know, Torts does talk about getting the defense more engaged offensively, and he wants that from certain guys. And I think that that was kind of a weakness of these couple of games where Travis Sanheim had an assist versus Buffalo, but that was it on points from the defensemen between those two games. And, you know, they were playing well defensively, which I guess is the more important thing uh, in the grand scheme of things. But I think if you're going to get more options off the rush and, you know, get set up down there, you're going to have to engage the defensemen a little bit more offensively. But then also on the positive side of things, uh, Travis Konechny, you know, his goal scoring streak came to an end, but he got two assists versus the Sabres. So uh, he's continuing to be really effective and uh, having a phenomenal season. So, uh, you know, all the credit to him about not just making it a streaky thing. He's been really consistent this season. No, and and he's had a different mindset. Like even in between periods, they asked him how the game was going, and he goes, "Not good," even though they were up, because he realized that this happened to be a game where 
maybe Buffalo was a little off their game. The Flyers were completely on their game, but that yet they were still making mistakes that could lose them a game. And so I think that's a big jump for him to to recognize that. And I think that is the influence of John Tortorella. And all of that is positive. Like those are those are really good things to to recognize. We'll see. We'll see how if everybody else sort of embraces that. Like like you said, it's easy to say that defensemen should be more engaged or whatever, but they have to do it. And again, this is where if you think, you know, Travis Sandheim can magically play the top pairing, I don't know. He's he's really had a mixed bag kind of year. He really has. I mean, we have to look at this and say at some point he has to break out and he's 26. So usually 25 is the age that I give where I say defensemen are at their peak and they start really getting it. Well, last year he had 31 points. He's got 15 now. He's pretty much on the same pace. So what's going to be different? What is going to change? Something has to change. Yeah, I, I think so. And again, that all ties back to the Ivan Provorov conversation that we had at the beginning. We have to have yep. a, a more well-rounded decor before we can think about trading a guy like that, yeah. even in the short term, I think. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know, getting rid of your guy that plays the most minutes and can do a lot of things, even when you don't have high expectations overall for the team. I just don't think the timing is right. But uh, we have a lot more to talk about with the Phantoms, and we will do that coming up next. Today's episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens. I started using Athletic Greens because I wanted better gut health, more energy, optimized immune system, and hated taking pills and vitamins. And I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, everything. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's a lifestyle friendly. It's lifestyle friendly whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, or gluten free. Athletic Greens contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, uh, getting to our Phantoms Tuesday. They had an okay week this past week. There was only two games. Uh, mm -hmm. They won against Rochester, and they lost in a shootout to the Marlies. Uh, so they did come away with a point in that one. But they had the lead a couple of times. So that was a bonkers game with a lot, a lot of goals going back and forth. Uh, you know, it was like four to four at the end of the second. And then like no goals were scored in the third period. Yeah. It was a very weird game. But uh, I think that, um, you know, it didn't give them a lot of a lot of opportunity to move up in the standings per se. 
Um, they're still in seventh, but are fifth in the points percentage because they have two games in hand on the two teams right above them in the standings. One of which is Bridgeport, which is interesting because their Bridgeport is in a free fall right now and can't yeah. like put anything together. And the Phantoms are playing Bridgeport twice this week. So I, I think it should be a good opportunity for them to rack up points. But in the meantime, we have like a, a really interesting situation developing in Lehigh Valley because we got Bobby Brink back, which is great to see him actually playing in games. He got a goal in his first game back, um, but he played only on Friday. He did not play on right. Saturday. And the reason for that is they're having a crowded roster issue right now. Is that uh, is it really the reason? I mean, they could say that. It, they may be wanting to bring in Brink kind of slowly too, because no, uh, I know, it, I, but that that's yeah. just part of it. But I, I think that they do have a crowded roster issue, regardless. Mm -hmm. um, they do. So it, it, sitting him to bring him back slowly is an easy decision to make as part of that process. But I think that you know it's limiting guys' ability to get opportunities to prove themselves. And so you have Zade Wisdom scratched. You have Isaac Radcliffe scratched. You have Hayden Hodgson scratched. Now he was hurt a little bit, but he still had the ability to come back. And so it's kind of like between Anisimov and then Lixell going back down. It's just crowding some guys out. And um, it makes for a lot more inconsistency in the lines and getting chemistry together. So I think it's just from a development and from a, you know, trying to win some games perspective, it, it could be causing them some issues. Yeah, the, I, I agree with that. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think Hodgson has much of a future with with the Flyers anymore. No. I think that time passed and that stinks because I think there's yeah. you know, a little something there and maybe, you know, he can get that with somebody else. So I think. I think that's a part of it. I also think that Zade Wisdom needs to play every game. Like he he has sort of lost that little bit that he had in the bubble. Now I get it with the bubble. You know, that year was a compromised year for the AHL, but he needs to sort of pick it back up. And he is not a guy that's going to do well um, by sitting out games. Uh, and you're sitting him out games so you could play, you know, these veterans. It's like there's a fine line between that. I mean, if you want to play Cam O'Reilly all the time, fine. He's the guy, fine. Um, but then, like you said, you have these other guys and you can't continuously play them. Those guys have to play like four out of every five and a guy like Wisdom needs to be in there. Like it's just, and eventually Brink is going to be in there and that's when you have to deal one of these guys. Like, you know, Max Wellman really does not have a future with the team. At this point, I could take him out of the lineup and Brink's going to play and if woman doesn't get traded, then, you know, you're going to sit out some games. That's just the way it is. I mean, I have to look for the long-term development here. And this is where I disagree with like John Tortorella saying, well, you know, let, let Ian LaPerrier do what he has to do there and do whatever. He, yeah. That's great for Ian, but it's not great for the team. And again, I'm going to ask the question since now Cam York is playing the right side up with the flyers, because somebody brought this up uh, in protest of me saying, Zamula should be up with the team. This was on a different show that I was on. Well, Cam York's playing the right side. Nick Sealer's playing the left side. So does Zamula. Why is Nick Sealer still in the lineup? Why isn't Zamula? I mean, Zamula could be playing right now with the Flyers. Why isn't he? 
Well, I think he's been a little inconsistent with the Phantoms, and that's why. I think that his play has been good in a lot of stretches, but he's still making some mistakes. And I I think think he plays better when he's up with the big. Well, that was the second half of my sentence. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I think that he he does play better at the NHL level than he does, or he can at least rise to the occasion when he needs to. And he's still going to make a couple of mistakes here and there, but I think he just likes the structure that Torts has put together a, a little bit better. And, um, but unfortunately Torts just didn't see that from him um, in, in the way that we would have hoped to keep him up there. Right. Um, but I also think, again, that's a crowded roster issue. Like you, what do you do with Nick Sealer? So uh, I think that Torts would not want to put him on waivers. It's a whole issue. So yeah, of course he wouldn't want to, but it would be the best thing for the team and the sure. development. And this is what's going to block some development. That's all the, that I'm pointing out here. Yeah, uh, and it does affect and it does affect the Phantoms and what they can do. Uh, as an example, why is Louis Belpedio playing top pairing? Like, why in the world does that matter? Well, I think that's part of uh, you know pairing a quote unquote real prospect with an AHL player. Um, strategy that he's got going. I don't know that that's the right strategy, but I'm saying that's what it looks like it's been for most of the time, except for the third pairing. Yeah, I think Zamula's got enough in his game that we're at the point in his you know AHL career where that doesn't have to happen, and I would rather see Roddy Adderd, uh getting those minutes instead of Belpedio. It doesn't make sense to me. It's like Belpedio isn't going to be here in a year. If he is, then you really have a bad franchise. Yeah, I mean that's just the way it. You know. Again, this is where I think it would be nice if the organization had a cohesive plan because I'm trying to get these other guys ready. Why in the world? How am I getting Ronnie out of ready by playing second pairing? Well, he's, at some point, he's going to be a top, has to be a top pairing guy in Lehigh if he's going to be an everyday guy in the NHL. Like he has to experience this. I, I do think that is a, a valid point. Um, again, I just think it's a, a part of the crowded roster situation that they have okay. going on there. Again, which is not a good thing. I'm just, I'm just saying that's the explanation for it right yeah, now. Yeah, because I mean Isaac Radcliffe has fallen off the cliff now. Yeah, as far as exactly being in in the uh, in the uh, as a viable prospect for this franchise he's falling off a cliff um i do again want to talk about some positive things here Russ. bring on the positive tyson forster got back on the score sheet i thought he had a really solid weekend again i talked last week about anisimov and ali lixel playing well together that proved to be the case uh you know anisimov got two goals in that Marley's game. And, uh, you know, Elixel was a huge part of that. The two of them played really well. But again, like, you know, Forster got back on the scoreboard on Friday. He played really well on Saturday. Um, he had an assist plus uh, a shot off the post, uh, another great chance in the game on the rush. And, uh, you know, Ali Lixel had a goal and two assists on Saturday versus Toronto. So, again, I think that line is a really good combination uh, in terms of helping Lixel and Forrester get going a a little bit more. So that was a really good thing that came out of this weekend. We also saw Felix Sandstrom in net for both games, getting his conditioning stint. And I thought he was solid. I wouldn't say 
phenomenal. Uh, obviously, that Marley's game, you know, was a little bit nutso, and I wouldn't put it all on him. Uh, no, and they're it, a really good team. Yeah, too. they are. Yeah, so you know, twenty four saves on twenty six shots on Friday, twenty four saves on twenty eight shots on Saturday. I, I think he needs a little bit more of a warm up, but I think he's headed in the right direction. It'll be interesting to see when they have to bring him back up what they will decide to do. Oh, you're so cute. You think they're bringing him back up. They're not bringing him back up. Torch has decided. Well, they're going to have to put him through waivers. That's the decision. They may, you know, that's where it's going to get tricky. But I don't think they're bringing him back up. Well, that is, uh, I think, something to be determined probably next <laughs> week. <laughs> but, yes. Um... It's just, I listen, I, you know, I'd like to have better answers, but you could sort of see the writing on the wall. Yeah, I, I, man, it's going to be interesting if they put Felix Sandstrom on waivers. Uh, I know. What could happen there? I agree. All right, that will do it for today's show. Uh, we will be back again tomorrow. We're going to talk about that home and home against the Caps. We've got a mailbag coming up, so get those questions in via Twitter at Lockdown Flyers. You can email us at LockdownFlyers at Gmail, or you can comment over on YouTube. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. I'm Russ. I'm at Sportsology, S-P-O-R-T-S-O-L-O-G-Y. Thanks for making Lockdown Flyers your first listen today. For your next listen, check out Lockdown NHL Prospects. They cover the next generation of hockey superstars leading up to the draft, available wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great day, everyone.